Good morning. As we prepare for worship, what a wonderful way to bring our spirits in tune with the Spirit of God. How many watched the Air Force Navy game yesterday? We want to challenge all those by way of television this morning. Air Force won for the third year in a row. Uh, it kind of reminds you back in 69, I got a commission by Old Langen to go to a choice of academies, and I elected to go to the Air Force Academy in that. At that time, it wasn't the coolest time, and my parents kind of put a little kibosh to that, but we went to honor all branches of the service, all branches of the service today as we come, and we pray for those who are protecting our nation, in the service to God and country and all law enforcement, law enforcement. And we want to thank you for your, your thoughts and your prayers by way of television and all the means of communication that's reaching you today by way of television and radio and YouTube and Facebook and all means of uh, certain means that I, uh, you know, the names Bichu and what are Bichu, Telegram, YouTube. If you're here, it's by that means of communication. We just appreciate your prayers and your, your support. Yeah, I'm going to turn to our opening hymn, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah Purple, 127. It's in the honor of the birthday of James Mayer. And you can just kind of wave at James Mayer. I just spoke to him here a few days ago, and he just loved to be with us, James and Charlene. And they're just great, great folks. And they, worshiped with us for many years after their Methodist church here in the United Methodist Church was forced to close. So we we do this this hymn in honor of Jim and Charlene's service to God and country and in the memories within that church. So let's stand now. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, purple number one twenty seven as we prepare for Holy Communion today. Purple hymnals one twenty seven please. Be 
song we believe I'm going to dedicate that to the return of Chris and and Pastor Rose and Martha and all those by way of tellers this morning we trust that these words will bring meaning to your Christian testimony and walk
Father God, this morning as we come before you in our petition and intercession of prayers, we meditate on the great mercies of God, tremendous mercies, Lord, you have for us through the night. And we address you as a dear loving Father and we pause to remember thy great blessings and courageous acts of heroism. We pray for those who are experiencing financial loss and material loss and loss of hope and the devastation of iron and hurricanes and tremendous chaos that's going on in the world. We, we lift up those who are so affected by the tremendous experiences of the materialism of life. We remember the families of the victims and we pray for police officers and firemen, first responders, and all who are involved in the tremendous work of revitalization. We pray for the light of Christ to flood the hearts of people everywhere. We believe, yes, we believe and we pray for the desire to redeem and all of your creation and we trust that, that the beauty of thy righteousness will continue to come from the ashes and devastation of floods of these darkest days that we're going through. Surround us, O Lord, with your mighty ministering angels of protection. Guide us in your compassion for one another in all of life's circumstances. Pray for the healings and continuous hand upon those who are experiencing loss by way of television and radio and other means of communication. Thou who art, who art all-knowing. And we gather this day to commune with one another, to commune with you, O Lord. When, throughout the world, the first Sunday in October is designated as World Communion Sunday, and we gather on this beautiful, beautiful morning painfully to remember those circumstances that have occurred throughout our world, the devastation in Ukraine and Florida, the countless murders in Chicago and New York and many, many sites, oh Lord, that are just experiencing devastation that even news isn't tracking anymore. But it's impossible to forget that we Remember all the, the heroes and heroines, the first responders that come to the aid and stand up when they see unrighteousness trying to prevail in the midst of peace and tranquility. 
Help us, O Lord, to be first responders to Christ. Help us to demonstrate that courage in the midst of chaos. We remember the innocents who have perished in Florida and Ukraine. We pray for Putin and his conversion, for our friends and our neighbors and thousands of strangers who are victims of random violence each and every day. We remember knowing for a moment that we are connected to each precious life, to the survivors and those who have died with the bond of shared humanity that the forces of hate could never, never break. We remember as we ask your blessing upon the body and blood of Christ this morning that help us to be more than conquerors through Christ who strengthened us. And we help us to remember the voices that counsel peace even as oftentimes nations prepare for war. And we, Lord, raise our voices still against fanaticism of the left, the liberalism, the apathy of both directions, the jihad, the militarism against racism and religious intolerance. And as we prepare for a sense of greater community with our communion of our Lord and our we ask, O oh Lord, that you prepare our hearts and our minds and our bodies with that historic prayer that you taught all your followers to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The line is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you're viewing by way of television, our scripture reading is taken from Luke's Gospel, the 16th chapter, verses 19 through 31. So take time now to turn in your scriptures to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, please. Reading again now from Luke, the 16th chapter, verses 19 and following. We hear the word of God, the people of God, and we ask ourselves, where do we, what category do we put ourselves in? There was a, a rich person who was dressed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every, every day. It's hard not to find ourselves in that position. And at his gate lay a poor man, a poor man named Lazarus. Lazarus was covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. And even the dogs, the dogs would come and lick his wounds. The poor man died and As he died, he was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. And this rich person also died and was buried in Hades, in hell. In hell, where he was being tormented, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. 
And he called out, Father, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me and, and send Lazarus to dip the tongue, tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony. Agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime, the stewardship, the stewardship of your time and your talents and your treasures, your duration of your life, you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is, is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between you and in us, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass, pass from here to you, cannot do so. And no one can cross from here there to us. And he said, then, then Father, Father I, uh, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may warn them so that I will not, they will not also come here this, into this place of torment. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the Bible. They should listen to them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them, goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Say it with me. They will repent. And he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets of the Bible, neither will they be convinced, even, even if someone rises from the dead. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word today. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. One thing I noticed about this parable is that the name of the rich man wasn't mentioned. However, he does mention the purple robe he was wearing, and that purple robe symbolized wealth and power. Purple was royal color back then. Another clue to his wealth is that he was wealthy and extremely well-fed. A final sign about his wealth was that he had gates around his property and these gates served as kind of a so-called protection from any outsiders or vagrants from wandering onto his valuable property. In contrast, Lazarus was the only person named in any of Jesus' parables, and he was lying destitute at one of those gates. The name Lazarus is a variant of the name Eliezer, which means God heals or God helps. This rich man was covered in fine purple linen, and Lazarus was covered in sores. Lazarus wasn't only there for a money handout, though. He was eating the crumbs that fell off the rich man's table. Lazarus was ignored at this property, except for by the dogs. He got attention from the dogs only because they licked at his sores that were on his skin. But something tells me this rich man wasn't 
irreversibly retrievable. Because he did tolerate, he not only tolerated Lazarus' presence at his gates, but he let him scrap up the, the crumbs that fell off his table onto the floor. Now Lazarus died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. There was, there was no mention of a burial system for, for, for Lazarus. But his death was followed by the rich man's death. And of course, there was a mention of a burial service because of his money. And, but this rich man went to Hades. He could see over across the chasm to Abraham in Abraham's, or to Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. For I am in pain with all this flames, this heat. Sent Lazarus over to dip his finger in the river and put a drop of my tongue so I could get a little relief from this flame. This plea for help from Lazarus was ironic because the rich man had done absolutely nothing to notice the poor man at his house when he was alive. Lazarus' position now reminded the rich man of that, how comfortable he was and how destitute poor Lazarus was. This brought up to mind the change of extreme opposite circumstances. Lazarus now in comfort. He was now comfortably reclining or resting in a very nice environment. Now the Pharisees that were listening to this parable would have missed this because they believed that comfort and nice things in life were given to you were rewards from God for your religious observance. If you, the, they thought if you'd lived a pious life, the rewards would come directly from God for your pro-religiosity, which is, of course, wrong, but that's what they believed. Now, the rich man had members of his family in the same position, so he called out to Abraham. He said, Abraham, save them so they don't end up here where I am. No. He was, he, he was told, no, they have basically the, the Bible and people that talk to them about, about heaven. Let, let, let him listen to them. That reminds me, that's pretty much how we are these days. Whenever we evangelize the people, or they turn on the TV or the radio, they can change the channels. And metaphorically, they can do this to us, do that to us when we speak to them of God. But that may be the only chance. It's important for us to give it to them anyway, the message of the cross, because we might be the only chance they have to hear about heaven that day or that week. We don't know what their circumstance is, but we can pray for them and try and share in it. When living, the rich man didn't realize 
what God had blessed him with. And then he was used it to help others. Let's not find ourselves in that same position as this rich man. Be generous with our ability and means to serve others and help others. We don't want to be like this rich man. That everything, me, 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 me. No, no, no. That's not it. Others can benefit from the blessings and the material that you have given you from God. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, sir. I can remember very few, on very few occasions, my, my lo lovely wife had asked me to increase my life insurance almost 50 years ago when, we, when I was skydiving and skydived a number of times and then I got others involved in skydiving and, and it was Steph Russell, the owner of the funeral home in Deer River, Minnesota. We put an ad in Itasca paper either to get in touch with the funeral home at Deer River or the Methodist Church if you're interested in skydiving. How is your life insurance policy? One of the individuals that I skydived with was a, a gentleman. He was from the Grand Rapids area. He had very long hair. He was a self-evolved atheist, communist, fascist, and we didn't necessarily get, get along. I, I wore a jacket that said H-E-L-L, -L, comma, I won't go. And he wore a military fatigue jacket with an upside down cross on it that said unconverted. I don't think I need to go into the explanation of those situations. I wish we had more time. Today, we're, as we prepare for Holy Communion, we need to realize that the parable that we now read in one respect stands alone. It stands alone in the Bible. It's the only passage of scripture which describes the feelings of the unconverted. If you're following along by way of television or radio and if you requested a bulletin, that first outline which is in the bulletin is unconverted. It's the only passage of scripture which describes the feelings of the unconverted after death. And for this reason, we, we, as well as well as many others, the parable deserves a very, I believe, special, special attention. We learn firstly from this parable that a person's worldly condition, the worldly condition is, is no test of, of their state in the sight of God. The Lord Jesus describes to us, these two individuals of whom one, one was very rich and the other was very poor. The one who fared sumptuously every day, the other was just a mere beggar who had nothing that he should call his, his own, bread crumbs from the table. And yet, of these two, the poor man had grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. And, and the rich person had none of God's riches and at Christ's expense. The poor man lived by faith and walked in the steps of Abraham. 
We learned in our Sunday school class how God changed the name of Abraham to Abram to Abraham. The rich individual was, was very thoughtless, selfish, worldly, who was truly dead in his trespasses and sins. And let us never give way to the common idea that all of us are, are to be valued. We're all to be valued according to the grace of God. We, we are, let us never give way to the common idea that we are valued according to our income or that the person has, who has most money is the one who ought to be the most highly esteemed. There's no authority for this notion in the Bible. The general teaching of Scripture is very flatly opposed to it. 1 Corinthians 1.26 says, Not many are wise, not many are mighty, not many are noble or called. Let not the rich person glory in their, their riches, but let them glory in this, that they knoweth and understandeth me, says Jeremiah 9.24. We find through that wealth is, is no mark of God's favor. Poverty is no mark of God's displeasure. Those whom God justifies and those who God glorifies are seldom rich in, in this world. If we would measure ourselves as God measures them, them, we must value them according to their grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. We learn secondly from this parable that not only firstly, that God doesn't look at the condition of the, uh, the state of our being here upon earth as in the sight of God, but we learn secondly from this parable that death is a, is a very common end. Death is a common end to which all classes of humankind must come. That the trials, the trials of the beggar and, and the sumptuous faring of the rich man alike will cease at last. There came a time when, when both of them died. And Ecclesiastes chapter 3.20 reminds us all go to one place. Death is a great fact that all acknowledge, but very few seem to realize it. It touches their own family and themselves eventually. Most, most of us eat and drink and we talk and we, we plan as if there were, we were going to live upon earth forever. And the true Christian must be on guard against the spirit. Spirit. Bible says he that would live well or a great divine great theologian during the 13th, 14th century said we should often think of our last day and, and make it our company keeper live as old this is our last day and against murmurings and, and, and discontent and envy and the state of poverty against pride and all sense of self-sufficiency and arrogance in the possession of wealth, there are few better antidotes than the remembrance of death. The death. 
I've told you before that many years ago I had my own personal coffin made. I've had that for many years in the corner of our living room. Currently it stores my, my guns and I've entrusted people to, to immediately upon death take those guns out of the coffin, put me in the coffin, same day burial, celebrate my birthday or my birthday into heaven or my death day later on the bodily wants at our end and we find that scripture says the beggar died and his bodily wants were at an end the rich man died though and his feasting was stopped forevermore we learn thirdly from this parable that the souls the souls of believers that the souls of believers are specially cared for by God in the hour of death. Have that assurance. That the souls of believers are especially cared for by God in the hour of death. The Lord Jesus tells us that, that when the beggar died, he was carried. We'll be carried. We'll be carried. If you're in Christ, we'll be carried by angels in Abraham's bosom. There is something very comforting in this expression. We know little or nothing of the state and the feelings of death. When our own last hour comes and we lie down to die, we should be like those who journey into an unknown country, but a country that's so fabulous and so peaceful and content. But it may satisfy us to know that all who fall asleep in Jesus are in good keeping. We'll be in good keeping, those in Christ. They are not homeless. They are not houseless. They're not wanderers between the hour of death and the, the day of resurrection. They are at rest in the midst of friends. Rest in the midst of friends. With all who have laid, laid and had that like faith, which is in Abraham. Abraham believed in something that he had not seen, and we see in scriptures the reality of what Jesus was and is and we'll have no lack of anything and, and best of all Paul tells us that they are with Christ in Philippians chapter 1 23 we learn fourthly from this parable the reality and the eternity of hell if I stopped here I would be negligent as a pastor and a Christian we learn, fourthly, from this parable, the reality of eternity, the eternity of hell. The Lord Jesus tells us very plainly that after death, a rich person was in hell. He was tormented with, with flame. And he gives us a, a fearful picture of his longing for just a drop, just a drop of water. And I imagine those in Florida who see water, water all around them. But the greatest need that they have is the water of Christ. Or clean drinking water among the sewage. He gives us a fearful picture of his longing for a drop of water. Just a drop of water, it's just to cool his tongue. And the gulf 
the gulf between him and Abraham, which could not be passed. And there are a few more awful, awful passages, perhaps in the whole Bible, than this. And he from whose lips it came, be it remembered, was one who delighted. Jesus delighted in mercy. Jesus delighted in mercy and kindness. In the certainty and the endlessness of, of the future punishment of the wicked are truths which we must hold fast to and we must never let go. And that's why I'm so grateful that the, many of us are looking at a, a separation, a disaffiliation from a group of people that do not believe entirely in Scripture. And he from whom lifts it came, be it remembered, was one who delighted in mercy. In the certainty and the endlessness of the future punishment of the wicked are truths which we must hold fast and must, we must never let go. From the day when Satan said to Eve, Satan said to Eve, and remember it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. From the day when Satan said to Eve, you shall not, you shall not surely die. There never has been wanting among us who have denied them. Let us not be deceived. Let us not be deceived. There is a hell for the impenitent as well as a heaven for believers. I have a heaven for those who have communion with Jesus and understand the body and blood of Christ. There is a wrath to come for all who obey not the gospel of Christ, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 8. And from that wrath let us flee betimes to the great hiding place, the hiding place, which Corey Tenpoon's book was based upon, the hiding place. The hiding place is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And if we would find ourselves tormented at last, it will not be because there was no way of escape. And we learn fifthly from this parable that the unconverted, the unconverted person finds out the value, the true value of a soul after death when, when it's unfortunately too late. We read that this rich person desired Lazarus might be sent to his five brethren who were yet alive, lest they also should come to this place of torment. And while they lived, he had, he had never done anything for their spiritual good. It appears they, they had probably been in companionship in, in worldliness and worldly activities, and like him, had neglected their souls entirely. And when he is dead, he finds out too late the folly of which they had all been guilty of and desires that, if possible, they might be called to repentance. Say it with me, repentance. And the change that will come over the minds of the unconverted person after death is one of the most fearful points in their future condition. They will see and they will know, they will understand a, a hundred thousand things to which they were obstinately blind while they were alive. They will discover that like Esau, they, 
They have bartered away their eternal happiness for just a mere mess of porridge, pottage. There, there's, there's no infidelity or skepticism or unbelief after death. It is a wise saying of the old divines that hell is nothing more than truth known too late. And we learn lastly from this parable that the, the greatest miracles, the greatest miracles would have no effect on our, our those hearts if they will not, not believe in God's word. The rich person thought that if one were to go to come back from the dead, if, if one went to his brethren from the dead, they would repent. And he argued that that the sight of one who, who came from another world must surely make them feel, though the old familiar words of Moses and the prophets had been heard in vain. And the reply of Abraham and Solomon instructed, if they hear not Moses, if they hear not Moses and, and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one were to rise from the dead. And the very principle laid down in these words is of deep, deep importance. The scriptures contain all that we need to know in order to be saved, and a messenger from the world beyond the grave could add nothing to them. It is not more evidence that is wanted in order to make people repent, but more heart and, and a willingness to make use of what they already have. The dead could tell us nothing more than the Bible, than what the Bible contains, if they rose from the graves to instruct us. And after the first novelty of their testimonies was worn away and, and should care no more for their words than the words of any other, this wretched waiting for something which we have not and neglect of what we have is the ruin of thousands of souls. Faith, simple faith, in the scriptures which we already possess is the first thing needful to salvation. The person who has the Bible, the person who can read the Bible and actually reads the Bible and neglect not what it says, that person who has this Bible and can read it and yet waits for more evidence before they become a decided Christian is is deceiving themselves, except they awaken from their own delusion, they will die in their sins. Father, this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, and as we prepare for Holy Communion, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would search our hearts. Search our hearts, Lord. Help us to be willing to accept conscience that speaks to our being. In Jesus' name, as we turn in our purple hymnals to pages 9 through 11. Turn with me now, if you would, please, in our purple hymnals, verses, pages 9 through 11. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. 
It is right and good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, O God, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so, with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of heaven and earth, and full of your glory, Hosanna in blessed you come. Holy are you, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. Your Spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners. By the baptism of the suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from, every, from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. When the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. And on the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us scattered here and on the gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory. And we feast at his heavenly banquet through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your Holy Church. All honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. At this time, I think we can do this. This is a new, new activity, the offering place here at the, on the altar. If you'd come, I will serve you. And we need to be done here shortly. So come as you will, as you give your gifts, your tithes and your offerings in the offering plate, and I'll minister to you to do the...
his body and his blood. Arise now and go in peace and understanding of the leading of the God's Holy Spirit in your lives. In Jesus' name, amen. As you return, would you join me in an offertory prayer printed in your bulletin? Gracious and giving God, we bring our tithes and offerings to you this day and pray as we give them that you will kindle in us a deep faith and a stronger commitment. We acknowledge that some of us have found our way back to you on our own. Others of us have lived a faith that surrounded us from the time we were born, lived out in parents, grandparents, siblings, and spouses. Help us to kindle it to faith, flame, that the world might be set on fire with your love and compassion. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us turn to our offertory hymn, Purple Hymnals, number 337. One, three, and four, please. Would you stand for the doxology, please? 
Now may the grace and the peace of God our Father Almighty go with us now and forevermore as we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors as we have heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Empower us by your Holy Spirit. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
we like to sing and get us in a spirit of preparation for our worship service, our praise services. Just a real good conduit <laughs> leading us to presence of the Lord in the words and the singing just brings great praise to God. We want to welcome all those by way of television and all the means of communication that we have reaching out. We're just constantly looking for new avenues of hope and, and, and sharing the gospel of Christ. And, you know, um, Robin has us on just about every available means of communication, um, television and radio and YouTube and Bitchu and some names that even confuse me when I try to pronounce them. Today, as we welcome you into our worship service, we pray for you, and if there's any specific prayer requests that you have, you let us know, either by calling or writing to us. We appreciate all the prayers and considerations that you have for us. Our opening hymn this morning is, is one of joy, joyful, joyful, we adore the purple number 89, 89, joining us by way of television, our scripture is going to be 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. And the question I ask you today, are you getting wary? Are you getting wary? So let us turn now to our opening hymn. You've been seated for a while and you'd like to do a little stretch and you want to stand as we turn to our hymn of praise. Purple hymn number 89, please. Just 
to love each other, lift us to the joy divine. Mortals join the mighty chorus which the morning stars begin. Joy divine in reigning o'er us, binding all within his prayer. Ever singing, march we onward, victors in the midst of Thank you. You may be seated in our praise song, a spirit song, purple number 347. And Chris Larson's going to be having a grandchild this afternoon, 11 years old, celebrating 11th birthday. And what is her, what's her name, Chris? Bria. Bria. And we dedicate this um, to Bria and, and honor the birthdays of Darwin Borden. Do remind me that pick up that wheelchair out there. I only put that out there each and every Sunday for Darwin. So, spirit song.
Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. During my 50 years of career as a United Methodist minister, I've always had a number of doctors, physicians in my congregation, and they would always tell, tell me that they would prefer to see their patients in church rather than in the clinic. And he always felt that they could either exchange spending time in the clinic or spending time in worship, that worship was a real good therapy. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just want to thank you today for those who are celebrating birthdays and anniversaries, and we pray we don't know the reason for Darwin and Marilyn not being with us this morning, but as he celebrates his birthday, we, we pray, Father, that you would continue to be with him and bless him and continue to strengthen him. We thank you for Dr. Thompson and our worship service today and his family. We, we pray, Father, for spouses that are separated from miles, the hospital needs, Lord. We just pray, Father, that you would be with those who are celebrating birthdays and anniversaries that, that mean a time of, of togetherness. And we pray that togetherness would foster a sense of community and in love and, and making good memories. As we concentrate on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, we're going to ask ourselves, are we getting wary? Are we getting wary? And honestly, we probably are. We thank you for those who turned out in, uh, on Friday night. <laughs> Hundreds of people that we handed candy out to and, and devotional tracks. We pray an added blessing on those devotional tracks. It's said that for every devotional track that's produced, there's five to ten readers of that, that track that leads people to Christ. And amidst the times that we're living in and the priorities, we realize that, that a third of Americans say that the economy is the country's most important issue. And that gun violence and gun control is a close second, followed by the, the lack of trust in government and politicians. And the results from a BD tip poll of over 1,310 Americans completed in June, it asked Americans, what is the most important issue facing the country today? Only 6% answered the Russian-Ukraine war. And after two years of this pandemic, COVID-19 received only 5%, suggesting most Americans are no longer worried about the virus that took over one million American lives. Priorities, priorities, Lord, differ according to parties and ideological lines. Gun control, economy, top issues, Democrats, climate control, and Cronus, and the, the Russian war tied for a third spot. The economy, nearly 50%, immigration, 20-some percent, and the lack of trust in government and politics, top Republicans' concerns. Independents were closer to Republicans. They rated the economy nearly 50% lack of trust in government and politicians as their top issues. 
and as the United States leads in military aid. In recent dollar terms, the United States has donated 10 times, yes, that's true, 10 times more aid to Ukraine than any other country. The nearly 26 billion spending amounts to a quarter, that's it, a quarter of our gross national product. Is in, in using this metric, the cont contributions of Ukraine's neighbors, although much smaller, were also significant, made up to nearly 50% other than the United States. We are living in chaotic times when desperate news is not news any longer. There, there has been a development in a, in a dichotomy of percentages about the Earth and its future. The division is, I think, clearly defined as a story that was recently heard a, a preacher tell. That he, he said that as a school schoolgirl was assigned the task of writing an essay, the girl's choice was, was on a wonderful new world order that was being constricted and constructed. And she was intent on presenting this, the preacher said, and the promise of the, this globalistic-oriented curriculum to which she had been subjected during the entire classroom experience. And that economy, the division of perception within each of the world order and the need for building it is a stark one indeed. The, the humanist one-worlders have promised, as in the lyrics of the song by John Lennon, imagine, imagine that all the world will be as one. This will be the children's bright future of the future of the heresies, the globalists, can force ecology destroyers to chase their carbon emissions and, and stop their climate change villainy. Imagine, imagine there is no heaven, as the Beatles would say, it's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today, imagine there's no country. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brother, sisterhood, humanity. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. Father, we pray that you would bring a, a, a prophetic knowledge to, to us as we examine your scripture today, Lord. Teach us, Lord, the importance of reading your word, the importance of daily fellowship with you. As you've taught us 
to pray, praying for our district superintendent, Dan Johnson, as he suffered a heart attack. Pray that you'd be with Debbie and the entire family. Stresses that he's experiencing as a United Methodist District Superintendent. Pray for others in our congregation as we mention them in our silent prayers to you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for being with them as we are part one another. The Thompson family, we pray a special blessing, a hedge of protection around them. And all others, as we pray the prayer that you have taught us to pray, praying together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This time I'd like to challenge you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. It seems like the, it's not only the days and the weeks and the months that go by quicker as we age. I spoke on the, the topic of time and the time that I had to share when I was gone a particular Sunday when one of the churches I served for, for a number of years celebrated their 125th anniversary and I can still remember as a, as a young and walking from the parking lot through church doors and it seemed like forever to reach the pulpit. And that, that time just seemed to drag as I prepared myself to share my first sermon in my first appointed church. And now it seems like, you know, you no know, sooner you get up in the morning and you're preparing to go to bed at night, time goes so quickly. And I believe that's one of the things that, that Paul was reminding us of the times that we live in and how crucial and important it is that we are never to grow weary, never to get weary. Reading now from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. For the Lord, and as we look forward to that day, for the Lord himself, with, with a cry of command, and with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive. You ever find yourself saying, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus? Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. That's the word rapio, rapture. The rapture, you hear the word rapture, taking up. We will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Just as the Lord ascended, after his death, burial, resurrection, he will descend. And with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage. Say that word with me, encourage. encourage. 
one another with these words. May God add his blessings to his word. Thank you. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning, Mike. The uh, first thing that I came to know and we shall realize is that the rapture and the Lord's second coming are two separate events. They're different. They're not at the same time, same thing. You may not realize it, but when Christ returns to earth, he's bringing all the raptured saints with him. Another important thing to know is that during rapture, the Christians will disappear mysteriously like, where are they? They were just here. But when Christ returns, every eye will see him. During the rapture, he's coming to take up his saints. During the second coming, he'll establish his new kingdom here on earth. During the rapture, he'll remove the saints to prevent them from having to endure the worst or full weight of the, the great tribulation. In the book of Luke, it tells us to pray that we are ready to escape. We get ready by having faith in Jesus. His return to earth to establish his kingdom is going to take place and rescue the Christians from the bulk of the terrible parts of the, of the tribulation. This is written in 24, Matthew 24, 29. When every eye will see Jesus return with his saints in full glory. Furthermore, in 2 Thessalonians, we learn that the brightness of his return to earth ends the seven years' reign of the Antichrist. His brightness, when he comes back, ends the reign of the Antichrist. That's how he's defeated. His light. 1 Timothy tells us that these last days will be marked with, by rebellion against authority, civil disobedience, an increase in crime, and finally, a great increase in knowledge of travel. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? This all sounds very familiar, because that's what we're going through right now, increase in crime. I thought about that, I thought, defund the police? What happens when you defund the police? Obviously, crime will increase in great measure. In, in Corinthians 25, 51 52, it says the dead in Christ will be raised, and even those that have not died yet will be changed at the sound of the last trump. All Christians will be caught up in the air to meet Jesus in their new incorruptible bodies. Jesus returns to earth with his saints, we're all coming back with him, and will touch down on the Mount of Olives. That's where he's, everyone, if you ever wonder where he's going to come back, that's where he's come back on the Mount of Olives with all his saints and where every eye will be able to see it. The Christians already passed will be called up during the rapture and return to earth with Jesus in their glorified bodies, new glorified bodies. The living Christians will receive their new bodies almost as simultaneously as Jesus comes back and those are caught up or within the blink of an eye. In these two verses, it is only important that you realize Christians that who have already died will receive new resurrected bodies, just like the ones that are still alive will receive new resurrected bodies. And Christians alive will then be caught up to join with them in the eternal company of the Lord 
in their new eternal bodies on the new earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And everybody say thank you, Jesus, this morning. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We uh, live in some interesting times. One of the greatest requests that I have by those who listen by way of television or radio or YouTube or Facebook is try to give us some encouragement because of the chaotic time that we're living in. I, I faced the butt of the spear uh, a number of years ago when I was corresponding as a, as a colonel in the Air Force and I was representing the, the chaplains and corresponding with the, I won't mention any names, but I can let you figure it out. I was corresponding with one of the um, vice presidential candidates of Hillary, Killer, uh, Hillary Clinton, and, um, I guess, you know, Tim Kaine. And at that time, Tim Kaine was, was boasting about his missionary ventures, and he was trying to get me to, um, and all the chaplains, basically, all the chaplains, pray in Jesus' name. And up until that time, I was always privileged and really considered an honor to open up um, Senate and House of Representatives with a prayer, with a prayer and say that it, you should never use Jesus' name. You're supposed to represent all religions, and I, I would always respond, no, I can't do that. If you want me to pray, it's always in Jesus' name. I say the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I learned to kind of cover my bases when I said the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and Jesus and God. I felt that was all-inclusive enough. Just here a few days ago, I was told, even though I'm retired, uh, Colonel Air Force said that the Air Force is initiating, imagine this, initiating that, that all U.S. Air Force personnel not address their parents as mom and dad, or father and mother. And I mean, it's, it's this, this whole crazy, crazy system, and the Air Force, I believe, has always been kind of on the edge of trying to introduce horrible concepts to military, Air Force, it goes to the Army and Navy and uh, Marines and and ultimately, they, they don't want us to um, pray in, in Jesus' name. And now they don't want us to address our parents as mother and father. What, what, what's the term that they want us to use now, Chris? Do you recall, Chris? Yeah, caregivers, you know, or nurturers, nurturers. And, you know, times are quickly passing, and I kind of resonate, I think I'm going to get Robin maybe next Sunday to play that um, song by the Beatles, I Can Only Imagine. I Can Only Imagine. And the lyrics are actually coming true um, today. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, that the request that I often receive is, would you please, would you please encourage our listeners, our listeners who are discouraged and and made doubtful by this rampant evil and this delayed, it's delayed rapture of the church. If you've gone to any secondary meetings, secondary meetings that we have at the um, Revived Church, and, and if you're following um, the news media um, currently, and you see that 
wickedness that's happening here. It's almost unbelievable, the indoctrination that our children, our grandchildren, you know, fortunately my children have chosen to homeschool their, their children, which are my grandchildren, homeschool them. We believers have a pain in our necks from looking up and looking for the second coming, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Mike has always done such a good job and elaborated on so many issues of the second coming of Christ. And I don't believe I need to repeat those. And imagine, how many, how many promises do you th think there are in the Bible about peace? There are 365 verses. Now, isn't that coincidental? How many days are there in a year? 365, there are over 365 verses in the Bible that tell us, that tell you and I not to worry, not to be anxious, not to be fearful, not to fret over e evil. I imagine if I could have Dr. Larson come up and, and share his experiences of ER. And, um, my daughter Joy, who works at St. Luke's Hospital as a physician, says that just a, you know, just an onslaught of people that are fearful and frightful and anxious, anxieties on, you know, on a rise. But on, on many days, believers, you and I as believers, we're so inundated, inundated with horrific headlines and predicted scenarios of doom and gloom that, that staying calm and praising the Lord are very difficult, even knowing that the Bible says the last days will be days of peril. Perilous days. Perilous days. I even wonder sometimes how can they become even more perilous, you know, for those who are experiencing anxiety. And, and oftentimes I, I get calls from people, you know, that all they want to say is they, they can't even espouse their name. They just want you to pray for them. Just pray for them. And I'm praying for those by way of television and radio. And, and you know, I know God knows your name and the need that you have, even though some have been Bible students for, for 60 years and many more. We never expected to see a time when the spirit of the Antichrist, spirit of the Antichrist would be so prolific. We never thought we would see America decline and no longer be a foreknown superpower. We never thought the likes of George Soros, Klaus, Swab, Bill Gates, Kua, Noah, Harayas, middle-aged in, in, individualists operating the global mission, B.O. Barack Obama and, and the Chinese Communist Party would be like the puppet masters running, running America. Plus legions, I believe legions. Jesus dealt with demons and devils and people that were possessed and he said there were legions, legions of demons plus legions more wicked men now and women scheming in dark smoke filled rooms we are reluctant observers of the fundamental transformation of America America and I can still remember when B.O. promised certain things in 2008 we just don't we just didn't believe him
And it's why I keep urging all believers by way of television, radio, and other means to have an eternal perspective, eternal perspective, and to hold on unloosely to this groaning planet. You can't hardly pick a continent or a country that's at peace. And one final day events are set in motion, as they obviously are. There's no going back. One of our daughter's friends gave us a little plaque sits on our, our sink that says the only setting in the Tabor household is the normal on the dryer. How is your normal going? There are things that have recently, just not in our lifetime, not in the last month, things that Congress have passed that were supposedly to lower inflation, and you don't have to have any class on economics to realize that actually this was just a gimmick. It will do just the opposite. Monsters, monsters in the swamp in Washington, D.C. voted to allow the IRS, the IRS to become the modern Gestapo. And because of his mental incapacity, Biden's only role is to put his signature on legislation designed to make American suffer. But that signature allows the IRS, do you realize what that signature allowed the IRS to do? To soon become larger than the Pentagon? The IRS is larger than the Pentagon, the State Department, the FBI, and the Border Patrol combined? More IRS agents than the reserves, and the guards, and the National Guard. This allows these agents to further squeeze the middle class in America and further crash the conservatives and the Christians. I fear we face a day when you won't be able to use a church contribution as a means of deduction from your income tax. So that's why I'm encouraging people to donate now. These so-called IRS agents will supposedly raise more than $200 billion in additional revenue for the federal government over the next few years. If you're like most righteous people, righteous people, you're fed up. You're fed up. You're disgusted that evil always seems to win, that, that politicians speak nothing but lies, and that they seek the demise of anyone who disagrees with their leftists, their leftist leanings. Is it any wonder that when Jesus parts those on his judgment seat, he says to the righteous right, go and come unto me, and those on his left, he says, depart. You wonder why God even allows the re-election of such um, serial, serial liars. Have you ever become wary, so wary of being outraged? We are just, frankly, wasting away, it seems. We wonder how, how an entire system, an entire system, the, the media, I realized when I was growing up, 
young, I probably early, I, I looked at those announcers as almost goddesses and goddesses, goddesses and goddesses. How an entire system, the media has been persuaded to further the lies and to further promote such a nonsensical agenda and, and why I refer to it as fake, fake news. We get, we get frustrated. We get fr fr frustrated that too many pulpits, that too many pulpits will not address what vital issues that could at least wake up some Christians. We've lost the, the pulpit of Dr. Billy Graham and Dr. James Kennedy, and the list goes on. Oral Roberts. Politicians enter offices ordinary people, but in time, they're worth tens of millions of dollars. Much of this wealth is from nefarious, nefarious deals, I fear, and we are outraged today, and outraged today's political players are nothing but a crime syndicate. No, nothing in this world works very well, and that's that's by design. You know, we as Christians have told that, are told that in the last days it'll be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah and be, Sodom and Gomorrah will, will rise up and say, how come you destroyed us when the evil that is practiced so prevalently in the day, as in the days of Noah, so shall the second coming of Christ be. No, nothing in this world works very well and that is by, I believe, a design of Satan. But don't interpret that as evil, as evil winning. Evil people will someday soon stand at that great white throne judgment where they will give account for every one of their deeds, their lies, their greed, their selfishness. They will receive unspeakable justice. Some people cry about our borders and the inflation and we have more oil fuel reserves thousands of years in America that God has blessed us. Some people whine, but they don't do anything about it. They don't even pray about it. No, nothing in this world works very well, and that, I believe, is by Satan's design. God said that Satan is the prince of this world, and he's a fallen angel, and his demons are just wanting us not to follow God's way, but don't interpret this as an evil winning. Evil people will someday stand at that great white throne judgment where they will account for every one of their, their deeds, their lies, their greed, their selfishness, their misconceptions of what they thought was right. I can't criticize them for their sincerity, but they're sincerely wrong. They, they will receive unspeakable justice. It is finished. It is finished, the beginning of the end. God didn't ignore the evil that the fall produced. When Jesus cried these anguished three words on the cross, and they were what? It is finished. Jesus signaled the beginning of the end. The power of sin and death, which is so strangles the human soul that wants to strangle your soul and my soul, which ravages evil, my friends, 
is not winning. It's not winning. The story of the Bible is, is that there is hope. The story of the Bible is that there is hope. There is hope in death. There is hope in burial. There is hope in resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God promises to rescue his church just as he rescued the righteous at the flood and at Sodom and Gomorrah, some listening by way of television or radio, they'll, they'll be lifted out of that broken world by the bridegroom, the rapture who will rescue the bride. And while we are ransomed here upon earth, and what lies ahead for our, God's churches is a, is a glorious beyond words. What lies ahead for the wicked is unthinkable. In the end, in the end, they do not win. We're to look up. We're to look up and not around. You look around, you get dismayed and discouraged, but we're to look up. I've said this for years, for, for decades, that if we look around, we will be depressed. If we look up, we will have hope. We will be able to cope. We will have joy in the midst of Earth's, Earth's tremendous sorrows. Father, this morning, we pray for those by way of television and radio. For some reason, God has allowed us to understand the grand plan outlined in the Bible. Better days are ahead. Actually, glorious days are ahead. Our scripture from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17, reminds us, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive, who are left, shall be caught up, rapio, caught up, together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore we are to comfort, comfort one another with these words, with every head bowed and every eye closed, and as we close, join me in this prayer, dear Jesus. Help me to pre prepare, 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 Lord, to pack our bags with faith, hope, and love. Forgive our sinful nature. Give us the nature of Christ. Transform our minds. Prepare us for your coming. In Jesus' name, amen. As we turn to our offertory prayer and prepare for our closing prayer and our offering, let us pray together. God of love and compassion, the need for your presence in this world is overwhelming. Confrontation and division are everywhere we look, in communities, in our countries, in our church, and in our world. We have endured much and others have had to endure so much more. The Apostle Paul reminds us that if we endure, we will reign with Jesus. May the gifts we give help all your children endure these strange and challenging times. In the name of Jesus, the Christ, we pray. Amen. As the ushers come forward, let us turn to our offertory hymn. There is a balm in Gilead, and balm is healing. We need healing for ourselves and our world. Purple number 375, please.
Would you stand for the doxology, please? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, most report to us that they can hardly keep up with all the news and the information that breaks daily and hourly. Much of it has biblical implications. Much of what is happening is a reminder that the hour is late. With each prophecy, with each book that the Bible describes, help us to be discerners of the times. Help us, Lord, to give so that others may hear thy word. Thank you for the gifts and the givers. In Jesus' name, amen. Chris or Kathy.